Sal Berry. Have a little self-respect, NHL. What do you want to be, the ECHL, but with higher paid players? And Tim Parrish. Bully comes from a long line of people that hate the homeless. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are going to talk about 2022-23 MVP hockey cards. That's right, actual hockey cards for the season that is about to start. We're also going to talk about a few other hobby-related topics, and we're going to talk about some NHL news and notes. Tim, what's going on, man? Oh, you know, just over here living my best life. Living your best life. I think we need to start this podcast with the big news that dropped uh, a couple days ago. You know what I'm talking about? Like, literally dropped from the rafters of Climate Pledge Arena and onto the ice and into our hearts. I'm talking about Bowie the Seattle Kraken's mascot that had everybody saying, what the heck? Yeah, that that pretty much sums it up right there. Um, Look, everybody's been anticipating this forever, and they they teased the announcement like, we're going to unveil our our new mascot and this, that, and the other, and everybody's been talking since the inception of the team what this mascot's going to look like, and it could have been anything. You know, the Kraken is this fierce sea creature, the stuff of legends. It looks like some kind of squid octopus thing that's just from the depths of the bottom of the ocean. And it could have been so cool looking. I think one of the big sentiments that a lot of people had was make it look like Davy Jones from Pirates of the Caribbean with all the tentacles on his face and stuff. And then we get a troll. We had a troll from, like, the troll movie. Uh, and I understand it. I know they're trying to, like, give him a backstory of how he's, like, related somehow to the Fremont troll. Which, if you don't know anything about Seattle, there's this famous thing. It's an iconic sculpture that's essentially under a bridge. And it's called the Fremont troll. And I'm pretty sure that's what it's supposed to be a takeoff of. So honestly, you're a kraken, you're a menacing sea creature that's very mysterious, and you make a troll. (laughs) That really, I don't even know if trolls can swim, can they? Well, okay, so a couple things that need to be clarified here, or expanded upon. First of all, Bowie is the nephew of the Fremont troll. Oh, nephew, so so he is related, blood relative. Yeah, but, uh, you know, not the son of but a nephew. So the Fremont troll has a brother or sister who had a child. Okay, so first of all, that's ridiculous. And I had to think, <laughs> it is. It Well, it is, right? Like You're not wrong. No, no, no. So, okay, I don't even remember if we talked about Chance, the mascot. Yeah, because I mispronounced Gila Lizard or Gila, what the, whatever the hell you call it. You lived in the desert. What are those things called? A Gila monster. Gila monster, right? The Gila you monster. Pronounce the G like an H. Oh, thank you. That then they should just make it an H. But um, okay. Sorry. So the Gila monster, right? So we were kind of like, well, that's kind of stupid, but okay, it's we get we get what it is, and it's 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 a creature that's indigenous to the desert, and they can't do a coyote because duh, they're not gonna do like a scorpion or something really nasty. Okay. True, but they also have the knights. 
that dress up and sword fight and do all of that kind of stuff at the games. Yeah, but then you do not like to, a big it, Yeah, it's not the night. mascot. It's right. not the mascot, but it's somebody else, I guess. Right, but you do like a cartoony night because that almost looks like a college football team logo then. So I guess like an animal is always kind of a safe choice because, you know, a dog, a cat, a raccoon, people could be like, oh, yeah, that's a dog, that's a cat, that's a raccoon, right? The Gila monster or the Gila lizard it's just like, all right, cool, whatever. I mean, I'd even like to see Chance put on one of them night helmets. I think that would be funny. You know what I mean? Like a nice little accessory to his costume. So we were like, okay, that was unusual, but we weren't like offended by it. Or we weren't like, what the hell? I think that what the hell was when we saw Gritty and we were like, what the F, right? And then it was the train wreck that was so bad. It was amazing, right? So Gritty set that bar high and... When you have to explain, like, not give your mascot backstory, but, like, when you have to explain things, it's just like, oh, okay, and it's based on this sculpture that nobody outside of Seattle would know about unless they were, like, really into public art and sculpture. Or, as I was reading the Wikipedia entry on the Fremont Troll, hostile architecture, because this bridge troll... That's that's what they call it? yes. So the idea is they didn't want homeless people sleeping under the bridge because that's what was going on. They had homeless people sleeping under that bridge. So they put a sculpture of a troll that's holding a Volkswagen Beetle in like one of its massive hands as part of the sculpture. And that was put there to basically make it so that homeless people couldn't sleep there. I see Hostile architecture. So then I started going down a Wikipedia rabbit hole about this because it's it's always something that's, I don't say fascinated me, but has always kind of perplexed me because it just seems like cruel. Uh, I'll give you like a, for instance, like when I wait for the train, they have these nice benches, but you know, the bench might be like, say five feet, but then they put a bar in the middle of the bench. So you can't lie down on the bench because they don't want homeless people sleeping on the bench. And I get that. But I always call that the F.U. bar or the foo bar, like fuck you, right? The the F.U. bar, the foo bar, right? To keep the homeless people from lying on it. Or like when they put spikes on things so like birds can't land on them. That's another example. I guess what I'm saying is that this was the landmark that they decided to base their mascot on. So, I mean, to use a baseball analogy, swing and a miss, this is like being Brad Marchand on the shootout and forgetting to pick up the puck at center ice. It's not even a shot and a miss. It's just like a whoops. So what you're saying is, bullying comes from a long line of people that hate the homeless. No, just a bridge troll that hates the homeless. Who is basically his uncle, right? Yeah. Yeah, see, so... I'm surprised he doesn't get canceled right out of the box. If you well, no, but that see, backstory. if he was a son, they'd cancel him. But he, he's a nephew, so oh, you know so he escapes through through that extra line in yeah. that family tree. It's like, do I you remember you. Thundercats? Yes, I do. You remember Snarf? Yes. And Snarf. then you remember his hip nephew, Snarfer? I do not. So, like in the I second, wasn't season, that into Thundercats? All right, in the second season of Thundercats, there was like a a hipper, younger Snarf named Starfer, and he was Snarf's nephew, and he was kind of like the scrappy do basically of the group, if that kind of puts it yeah, into perspective. Right. Yeah, I don't know. The char- I just the character nobody wanted, but you got him anyway. You got him anyways. So you just have to deal with it. 
So, of course, we're going to include a picture in the show notes, but just to explain what Bowie looks like. It's a six-foot-tall troll with long, blue, wavy hair. He wears number zero on his Kraken jersey, and he has an anchor earring in his left ear. You know, all he needed was a guitar, and then he would have felt like a 90s cartoon character. Yeah. You know, and the more I thought about this, too, there's a lot that goes into, obviously, creating a mascot, right? You can't just, like, say, oh, it's going to be this, and boom, there it is. You got to think about all these different things, just like when you're naming your child, right? You don't want to come up with a name that they're going to get made fun of their whole life, and you'll run through a billion names, and you'll come up with everything they rhyme with and all kinds of sayings and all of that kind of stuff just to avoid giving them something that's going to haunt them the rest of their life. So you look at all of the different things, and the team colors obviously are incorporated in in everything. I think his hair was supposed to be like like a tribute to you remember Squatch, who was the mascot for the Supersonics. I don't. Well, when the Supersonics were still there, that was their mascot, and so <sighs> okay, I'm sure it'll grow on people. And I'm sure it's fine, and who cares? It's a mascot, right? I think it's kind of weird that they didn't go the route that we were saying to kick off this thing. I understand why they wouldn't use an octopus, just because that's too much like the Red Wings, I guess, with the octopus. But still, I guess nobody really knows what a Kraken looks like, right? That's the mystery. But you could have made some type of crazy sea creature out of it, I guess, instead of a troll i don't know your example of the octopus for the red wings or we talked about the gila monster for the knights gives an example that the mascot does not have to be based on the team name or the team logo no it doesn't and even with the octopus i mean is the octopus really a a mascot per se i mean it was more of a kind of just thing Yes. Because of the tradition of, of, you know, having to win the eight games and all of that. So right. he throws the octopus and there you have it. So they put, you know, the octopus up in the rafters. But there isn't somebody walking around in a costume being the mascot, per se. Right. Like you know, obviously here you've got somebody in the costume. I guess it's in the grand scheme of things. It's like, who cares? But also it's kind of strange, I think. Yeah. Even like make them into Bigfoot or something. I don't know. Isn't Bigfoot from Seattle? Yeah, but up in the Pacific Northwest somewhere. Yeah, but see, the thing is, is that so they're they're trying to pass this off as a sea troll, is what they're calling a sea troll. A sea troll. Right. But it's kind of hard because whenever you have a sea creature, then you have to deal with like flippers and stuff. And then he can't run around the rink and do crazy antics. I guess, too, you got to, they're more for the kids. So if you make a big, scary sea creature, the kids aren't going to want to be around it. Well, I remember. suck at birthday parties. I remember at a Blackhawk convention one year, they had a Q&A panel with the management. I think this was 2008. And somebody said, my kid is terrified of Tommy Hawk, the Blackhawks mascot. And a couple of years later, they redesigned how he looked 
they gave him like big blue eyes and they gave him kind of more of a smile instead of kind of like an angry face. I mean, they really neutered him, if you ask me. Tommy Hawk was a cool mascot and then they just kind of gave him this whole image change and he just looks like a chicken, basically. So, I mean, sure, they say you want your mascots to be approachable, but yet we still can't explain Gritty. Gritty just unchecks all of the boxes, not checks those boxes, unchecks all the boxes and somehow worked. And they're not going to top that. Although I wonder, you know what, if you shaved Gritty and you dyed his hair blue on the top of his head, I think you'd have Bowie. I mean, maybe. Oh, but Bowie has ears, big, beautiful ears. And, and Gritty, Gritty might have ears under there. You don't know. You don't, don't know. know I've got so mop. much fur. Right. It's like Cousin It. You don't know what's under there. This is true. And the less known about that, the better, I guess. But yeah, when you have to explain your mascot, like it's a troll. Oh, it's a based on a public sculpture that was used to ward off the homeless people. Great job, Kraken. Great job. Like I said, I'm sure there were dozens and dozens of people on these teams to come up with the idea to create this. And they went through a billion focus groups to figure out what was best and least harmful for the public. (laughs) I'm sure. So, you know what? We'll all scream and yell about it on social media for the next couple of weeks, and then we'll be done with it. Nobody we'll move on to something else. Yeah, nobody, nobody will remember why he's called that or where he came from or any of that. They'll just say, oh, that's the Kraken mascot. Move on with my life. As soon as Tom Wilson or Brad Marchand does something that pisses everybody off, Bowie will be in the rearview mirror. Exactly. Although it is kind of funny that he's a troll, so maybe he'll be the troll that trolls the trolls on social media. That would be great. That could be. At least have him him and Grady get into it. There was a video last year where they were making fun of the Kraken when they visited. They they were like, Grady's going to introduce the Kraken's new mascot. And it was like a guy wearing like a hat with like tentacles covering his face. And he's like, it's Cuddles the Kraken. And then Grady turns and does a pie in the face and hits him. But I just thought that was funny. Cuddles the Kraken, which would have probably been a better mascot, but. What's done is done. So you want to talk. Exactly. What's done is done. I like that. So touch on the Summit Series, because I know that just passed in uh, early September. Uh, Clemente Lisi, one of our writers for Puck Junk, wrote a piece about collecting stuff from the 1972 Summit Series. I just finished reading a book called 1972. I'm going to post a review of it. Wanted to do that by the end of September. To coincide with the end of the tournament, but you know how life is. You have a million other things going on, and so do I. But 50 years of the Summit Series. I will say this, though. Reading that book, 1972, it gave me a lot of perspective about the series that I didn't know. Like, I knew that, you know, Canada and Russia and the players and this and that and and whatnot. And, like, you know, Canada won the last three games and they won the series. They had four wins three losses, one tie. I kind of jokingly once put on Twitter, I'm like, oh, what's the big deal? Canada gooed its way to a a win or to win the series, right? Because they always show that slash that Bobby Clark did on Valerie Karlamov's ankle, which basically made him ineffective that game. And then he was out the seventh game and then he came back the eighth game and he was ineffective. So game six and eight, he was ineffective. And game seven, he was out. So it seemed like from... 
what I had seen and just kind of like the bits and pieces I picked up, up about it over the years. I'm just like, all right, Team Canada gooned its way to a win. After reading this book, I'm just like, oh my God, this was this was an incredible series. I'm gonna make I'm gonna put a review on 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 the site soon because it's a good book and you should all go read it. Well, that's there the was, thing. There's so many people that consider this to be the best, if not one of the best, hockey series of all time. I mean, and nothing to take away from like the Miracle on Ice thing, but that wasn't a series per se. That no. was a couple games to, but it was symbolic, right? That's again something that this series was also very symbolic and just a good match. One thing, and I thought this was, I remember reading this book when I was a kid. I checked it out from the library and it was called Hockey, You Are the Coach. And it had a chapter about that. It was basically saying, what would you do as as the coach? And it kind of laid out the scenario. And it, it like, so it would like, it would pick like a famous game or famous series. You know, you're Scotty Bowman in the 19, you know, 77 Stanley Cup finals and blah, blah, blah. What would you do? Right. Like, and then it kind of lays out some options and then you turn the page and then it tells you what he did and, and why it worked. It was a pretty cool book, but I remember first reading about the summit series from that the thing that that book talked about and then this 1972 book talks about is that the russians were really good at their set plays they were really good at set plays i mean that was their thing i'm not saying that canadians didn't do set plays back then but it was almost like they just kind of did a pattern and if it didn't work they would try to do it again if it didn't work they would try to do it again they'd go back and they'd circle with the puck in their own zone they were not about to dump it in and chase it because they wanted to keep the puck. Whereas Canada was, they were like more creative players. I mean, you could probably relate to this in music. You could have one guy who plays the guitar and he hits every note perfectly and he does everything, reads the music, plays music as it should be. And you go, okay, that's perfect. But then you have maybe somebody who's self-taught or they learn by ear and they play and what they play is way more interesting, although maybe not as technically proficient. Does that make sense? Does that yeah. analogy make sense? Yeah, sure does. So that's kind of like how I see it, you know, where like basically Canada, they had to scra- uh, scrap their way to a win. And I mean that like meaning they had to, to battle back in the series because they thought it was going to be an all-star game. They thought it was going to be an all-star game. It was the summer. A lot of the guys like Phil and Tony Esposito, they left their hockey school. They left their hockey school with like two weeks to go or a week to go. They just said, we're sorry, kids, we're going to have to close down. We're going to give you refunds for the rest of the the summer. And they went to go play for Team Canada. And Phil didn't even want to do it. He didn't want to do it. And he ended up leading the team in scoring. So they just thought, all right, this is going to be a tournament and we're going to represent Canada, but it's going to have all the intensity of an all-star game. And meanwhile, the Russians were training 11 months out of the year. So you got these guys from Canada who are coming back from their summer break and they would play like 12 preseason games. And really that was what training camp was, was you play all these practice games until you're into game shape. So they basically had to get into game shape during the series, which is why the first half of the series they lost two, they tied one, and they won one. And then they lost game five, the first game in, in Russia. Like I said, I learned so much about this series and its importance. It wasn't just importance for a political thing, like, yay, you know, um, 
our politics are better than your politics or our hockey is better than your hockey. But I mean, really, from that point forward, the game was changed because you kind of had this hybrid of styles now, right? Gone were like the, I'm going to just come to training camp and get in shape. And then now you have NHLers training year round because it's their job and they're in shape all 12 months out of the year. Their nutrition is better. There's Europeans in the NHL. I mean, so much changed because of that series. Look, if it wasn't that impactful, we wouldn't still be talking about it 50 years later and breaking mm-hmm. it down and analyzing it and everything else. You know, those of you out there that have NHL Network Radio, they just did a whole series on the Summit series with interviews and everything else. It's called Back to the Summit. It's available on demand if you guys have that and have the capability of getting to it. But there's some really good interviews with various players and and things like that to talk about. And it's funny, you hear some of the stories. It's like, it's almost like, how could the rest of the world let the Russians get that good? And it's like, they based their entire operation and how they played off of the way it was done in Canada. And it's like, okay, that doesn't make sense because Canada's been playing hockey for way longer, but yet somehow Russia all of a sudden caught up and got that good. You know, why is that? And and it, it some of the stories break down kind of what went on as far as their training, like you brought up. You know, they would train all the time, constantly. They were always on the ice. They were always training. They were always learning, always fixing their craft. And they'd go out there in all of the international tournaments, like in the Olympics, for instance, and they'd just wipe the ice with everybody. Yeah, they'd play was... the team together. They'd play those guys together. I mean, it was basically the Red Army team was the national team. Yeah, and that's and, and you'd have them just wiping out the competition left and right. And it's like you look at that and you're like, yeah, well, they're playing a bunch of college kids and they're playing a bunch of amateurs and they're playing this and playing that. What do we need to do to get them to play like the best? And that's how this whole thing came about. It's really interesting. But, yeah, the fact that we hit 50 years and everybody's still talking about it and people still get excited about it and. It's amazing. It it really is that something has that much of a lasting effect. Okay, so let's talk about these digitally enhanced dasher boards. Yeah, that's just what everybody loves. More stuff about advertising. You know, everybody's been up in arms about the whole Jersey patch controversy with putting an advertising logo on the front of a hockey jersey yeah right exactly have a little self-respect nhl what do you want to be the echl but with higher paid players because that's just embarrassing have a little respect they do want to have respect because they want to actually exist and maintain their organization so selling advertising spaces on the front of the jerseys i have yet to see one i'll be perfectly honest with you and i've watched a number of exhibition games so far in this preseason i have yet to really even notice it I mean, most of the patches are in the top corner, mm-hmm. so they're up above everything. And you can see that there's a patch there, but you don't know what it says when you're watching guys on the ice. You can't even see it. So when it zooms in and, like, you're on, you know, on a player, like there's an ISO cam on a player or whatever, you notice the advertising on the helmet more than you notice the one on the jersey. Well, people were mad about that, too. Well, now you got something else to be mad about because essentially what they're going to be doing now is starting this year, they've created a digitally enhanced dasher board set up for every broadcasted game. 
What does that mean? That means that in game, during the game, advertisers can essentially replace and erase whatever's on the dashboard digitally and put something else up there. So just like the Super Bowl, if you pay $30 million or whatever you're paying for 30 seconds of advertising, you can buy a section of the dashboard and during the 12 minute to 14 minute mark of the first period, your advertisement could be somewhere over in the left corner. And as the camera goes, there you see it. And then two minutes later, it's something else. And then two minutes later, it's something else. So on and so forth throughout the game. So it's going to change and everything else. We've already had that sort of. So if you watch local broadcasts rather than national broadcasts, you'll notice that up on the glass above the nets, behind the nets, those advertisements change. And many times the ones on the ice by the blue line, those tend to change. Perfect example, I was watching the Penguins-Buffalo game a couple days ago, and it was the Penguins broadcast, even though they had problems with the feed from Buffalo because I guess they had a power outage in the video booth. But when it was working, you know, you'd see them skating up and down the ice and whatever. When they get to the ends behind the net, there's advertisements for Pittsburgh businesses. And I'm going, wait a minute, I thought this was Buffalo. And then I realized, yeah, this is it's the Pittsburgh feed, so they can change whatever they want. So because they can change it on the ice, and now they can change it on the glass, this is the next step. They're changing it on the dashboards. I liked some of those ads that you'd only see in other ranks. I mean, what was there's that uh, Boston Pizza, and then isn't there like another one called like Pizza Fifty Three or something that's like in Canada or something like that? Yeah. Or, yeah, and then you know, and then there's that Popeye ad in the uh, Oilers rink. I mean, I'm not saying oh I'm going to be fond of these ads. You know what? I was talking to the other day with somebody about my experience of going to the Chicago Blackhawk games in the late 80s and the early 90s. And they didn't have ads on their boards at Chicago Stadium, I don't think until 92, 93, or maybe the last year, 93, 94. But 70s, 80s, early 90s, they didn't have ads because there was no point. They didn't televise their home games, so they couldn't really sell sponsorship on the boards to any Chicago businesses because, you know, who's going to pay for an ad that no one's going to see? Just the people who go to the game would see it. But there are no ads on the ice, no ads behind the net, no ads on the board. It was just very clean looking. Like you could just focus on hockey. And I think of the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver when they just had like those green, like swirly patterns on the boards and no advertisements. And I'm like, you know, I really like that. I'd like it just, you can really focus on the game. And then when we talked about three ice a couple months back when they had the three ice tournament, but we were also talking about the weekly matches, they had those animated boards and I did not like those. I don't like animation while the play is going on. I don't even like those light up boards. They're kind of like light up signs on the boards. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I don't Almost. like those. You know, if I had a heavy slap shot, I'd be the guy in practice just aiming at those boards and trying to break them. Oops, sorry. I guess I hit it too hard with this puck. Because I think that shit is so distracting. I mean, I know the players aren't really distracted by it, but I think if it was up to them, they'd probably rather not have all that blinking shit, you know, well, while they're trying to play. 
in the case of this, there's going to be no player distraction because they won't see what you're seeing. They no, have no clue. I'm talking about the actual backlit. I guess they'll do away with these now. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're saying. When they'd have they'll like have a no marquee board in the, yeah, yeah, they won't. They'll have no need for them now. So baseball's had this for a while. I mean, they have them behind the plate and they're always changing. So when you got, when the camera's behind the pitcher and you're viewing the batter, you always see the advertisements changing in the back. And if you actually go to the stadiums and see a game live, those advertisements aren't there. It's just a blank, blank spot because they essentially green screen it, quote unquote, and they throw the advertising on there. But, you know, Wish did a big piece on this for ESPN talking about all of it and kind of went in and talked to the NHL about it and how it's supposed to work and everything else. And I understand people's being upset about it. I get it. I totally get it. But you have to understand advertising is what pays the bills. And unfortunately, you're talking about a sports organization that, yes, is one of the top four in North America, but it also is probably at the bottom when it comes to revenue generation. Mm -hmm. And COVID did it no favors. So if there's something that they can come up with that's going to help my team gain another three, four million dollars a year from now in salary cap, then I'm all for it. Because that's another player. Because as everybody probably is well aware, hockey players that are paid a lot of money also aren't paid hundreds of millions of dollars like they are in basketball or football or baseball. So I get it. I know what it's for. Am I happy about it? No. Do I want it to turn into some distraction thing? No. Do I want to be watching a game and have something go wrong with the digital enhancement to where every time a player gets close to the edge, they disappear because they've blocked it out with some advertising? No, I don't want to see that either. I'm sure they'll figure it out, and they'll figure it out pretty quick, because from the way I understood it, this is going to affect all feeds, all broadcasts, every game. Like This isn't like something they're just trying out on a few things. This is, we figured it out. We're going full bore, every game, every broadcast, virtual ads, that's it. So I hope they know what they're doing when it comes to this, and it doesn't turn into some kind of joke, I guess. What do you mean, a joke? I don't know, like the glow puck? A joke. Okay, I knew it was going to go there because I was about to bring that up. Mm -hmm. To paraphrase Walt Disney, it's hard to believe it all started with the mouse. Well, it's hard to believe that it all started with the glowing blue puck. I mean, that was gimmicky to try to get more people to watch because for some reason they figured out with some focus group that people couldn't track the puck on their own. So they developed this stupid thing to do it. And I get it. People that didn't have a problem, it was annoying. Okay. Well, now we're going to have to find a different way to watch the game so where we don't look at the changing ads on the wall. I know your, your comment about watching three ice when they were moving it kind of pulls your eyes away from the play because they're moving around i hope it's just more stagnant type ads yes the preview that i saw for it was not so it was actual moving stuff so i mean we'll see there's a game this weekend with the uh the global series yeah the global series with uh predators and sharks i think 
So you'll get a local Predators feed, you'll have a local San Jose Sharks feed, and then you'll have the rest of the world feed. I don't know how they work that. I don't know if it's going to be like national advertising on the global feed or international advertising, and it'll be local advertising on the individual feeds. So if you're watching the Nashville game in Nashville versus in San Jose, you'll see different ads. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work, but I guess we're going to find out pretty quick. And I guess that's okay to localize the ads because they can make more money on ad revenue. Yeah, as long as the ads don't move while the play is moving, I'm happy with that. Otherwise, there's just too much stuff, man. I mean, even like if you watch like Talking Head TV, like if you watch like a talk show or like I watch a lot of CNN. So like when you have like two people talking and they'll like be superimposed over the background, they'll have like the two headshots side by side. But then like in the background, you'll have stuff moving kind of slowly. You might have like a dividing bar between them that says like CNN that's like scrolling very slowly. You got the news ticker at the bottom. You got the clock in the corner. It's just like every Every news station is like that. I'm like, hey, you know what? I want to hear what they have to say. I want to see them as they talk because sometimes you could pick up their expression, you know, and they might show you something. And, you know, it's just like they're they're so worried, like, oh, people are going to look away. You know, unless we have shit constantly moving, people are going to look away. What I'm waiting for is the backlash over the entire dashboard is Caesar Sportsbook or Bet MGM. And it's being and it's being broadcast in a state that doesn't allow gambling. So no, I can't I don't wait think, for that. I don't think that would happen. Well, I guess so? if it was national, sure. Yeah, if it's a national feed. And you think any of these sports betting companies they pay a ton of money for this kind of advertising. So yeah. I'm just hoping it's not individual, like little like these guys have six feet over here, and these guys have four feet, and this guy has 30 feet. I hope it's not that. I hope the advertising is like the entire rink is that for a couple seconds, and then it becomes something else later. That's what I hope, because that'll be less distracting. So now I'm wondering if are the boards going to be blank? Like, if you're not watching it on TV, are they going to be blank? I don't think so. I don't so they're not going to be green. I don't know that they're going to paint over them. I think they're just going to leave the advertising that's already there, because you still have the in-house crowd. I think they're probably going to leave that. I'm sure they figured out a way to white it out digitally and then put something over top of it like i said we'll see it'll be interesting first guy that goes into the corner and there's a scrum in the corner and the guys disappear and all you can see is the puck moving back and forth and you're not sure why it's moving right everybody's been digitally enhanced and camouflaged into the wall it's because the ad on their jersey made them blend in with the ad on the boards yeah okay they're a little two inch by three inch ad where'd he go Like, think of Homer Simpson disappearing into the bushes. Same idea. Yeah. People yelling about two-inch by three-inch ad. Yeah. They're going to start yelling a lot more about this. I guarantee it. So, Yarmir Yager's retiring. It's the rumor. Well, he's like 50 now, isn't he? Close to it. I guess they're saying that he's come out and said that he's kind of lost his motivation to play hockey and may have to hang him up, but he's still going to continue to own and operate his team but as for like doing all the training and i can't for one second think that he's not gonna work out and do all that stuff because that guy was an animal when it came to that kind of thing but as far as actually skating with the team and playing i don't he might be done but he might be done soon 
Yeah, I mean, Gordie Howe played till he was 52. Chelios played till he was, what, 46 or 47. And Chara played till he was, what, 45? Yeah. He's a month younger than you. Uh, he is. Thanks for reminding me. Well, no, you, you said that last week, so I remembered. <laughs> Thanks for reminding um, me that he gets to retire and I don't. Right. Reminding you of your own mortality. And see, it's interesting because um, earlier this year, the fact that he's coming out and saying this, or if he said it to somebody and they're reporting it, if you remember earlier this year, he like put on all of his social media about, you know, and it was joking, but he was like, hey, NHL GMs. He's like, I'm a free agent too, you know. You know, I'm, yes, I, saw I'm that. 6'3, 265 pounds. I'm 50, a little slow, but I'm still strong and I have good hands. I can bring mm-hmm. experience and but I only like to play home games. And yeah. That was like, that was that was like his tweet out to everybody else. So but yeah, to go from that to potentially walking away. It's interesting. It's definitely interesting. I also wonder if there's any other things that are going into that specifically. But who knows? Guess we'll see. If he decides to make the announcement, I'm sure we already know who one of the names on the Hall of Fame ballot's going to be. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no doubt that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, right? Like, no. We're not, there's not even an argument there, right? Not at all. I mean, they should have put him in by now. I mean, they put in Chris Pronger, and he technically didn't retire. Yeah, this is a little different, though. He's actually still playing. He's actually still playing, right. Yeah. So his legacy is still being written versus right. a guy who's basically – not retired because he's collecting money. Because if you retire, you don't get paid. So, yeah, we'll see. Either way, hell of a career. Absolutely. Uh, so what about these St. Louis Blues announced that they've created a Hall of Fame? So I kind of thought all teams had some sort of, like, ring of honor or wall of fame or something like that. My sentiments, exactly. I didn't realize there were teams that didn't have their own team-specific Hall of Fame. I don't think the Blackhawks do. I think they just have retired numbers. Well, and that's part of what's going into the Blues one is they're going to open it up to have an actual Hall of Fame. And at least their initial induction class contains eight players from that organization that have already had their numbers retired. Al McInnes, Bob Gassoff, Bob Plager, Barkley Plager, Brian Sutter, Brett Hull, Bernie Federko, and Chris Pronger. And then um, the original team owner, Sid Salomon Jr., and Dan Kelly, who was their broadcaster for a long time. That's a great Hall of Fame right there. And then they have, like, voting. And I don't necessarily want to go through all these, like, different people that they have picked that you could vote to also be in the Blues Hall of Fame. But just looking at that list really quick, I think Red Berenson should be elected to the Blues Hall of Fame. I mean, you could argue Gary Unger, Keith Kachuk, blah, 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 but definitely Red Berenson. You take Red Berenson over Barrett Jackman? What? Yes. Yes. Berenson had that six-goal game. He was the Blues' first star player. Okay, Glenn Hall was probably the Blues' first star player, but Glenn Hall was at the end of his career at that point. I would take Red Berenson and Curtis Joseph. Those would be my two choices. Good picks. Good picks. I think they have Scotty Bowman on the list, too. They got Scotty Bowman on the list. They got L. Arbor on the list. Wayne Babich, David Backus, Pierre Turgeon. 
Did you see the eligibility requirements for that? They only had to play at least three seasons or 200 games. That's the main requirement. So three seasons or 200 games. With the Blues, of course, not just NHL. No, they have no, to be I... officially retired. They have to have won either a Stanley Cup or a major NHL award during their tenure with the Blues. So think about that. They had to have won a cup. So let me get out my calculator here. How many cups do the Blues have? One. Yeah. So none of these guys eligible for this list have won a cup with the Blues. But an NH- major NHL award, so obviously for the next while, that's going to be the other criteria is winning a major award. So I just thought that was interesting. Either won a Stanley Cup or a major award while they were with the Blues. Wow, that limits everybody who's ever played for the Blues except for the one year. Well, I mean, Brad Hall won a, a Stanley Cup elsewhere a sure, couple times. This says it had to be during their tenure with the Blues. Yeah, no. So, so I guess it's going to be a lot more selective. Can't just randomly throw anybody in there. Let's talk some collecting stuff. You said that there's been a resurgence of fake patch cards. Oh, yeah. You know, these pop up every once in a while. Like, you'll see various patch cards and things where the patch looks kind of strangely suspicious. Suspicious? Yeah. For me to say. But this was kind of disturbing because I noticed on social media, at Gropeman Cards posted uh, about this and has posted fairly frequently about what's been going on. And mostly these are Dallas Stars cards like Jason Robertson and Jake Ottinger type cards mm-hmm. from the last couple of years. But essentially what people do is uh, nefarious individuals will go and take the jersey and patch cards that usually have maybe a single color or something that's a boring type swatch, more or less. And they'll replace it with a fake patch that looks much cooler. Like maybe it's a an arm patch of, like in the case of Dallas, like maybe it's got piece of the star on it or it's got a ring mm-hmm. on it that, that says something like Dallas stars or something of that nature that makes it look much more interesting. Well, what's the reason for that? Even though they all come from the same set, somebody is going to look at that and be like, well, I can either buy this plain white swatch card or I can buy this really awesome looking one. So... People get a lot of flack saying, well, how do you know these are fake? You don't know these are fake. You know, they could be something else. Well, yeah, we kind of do know they're fake because people have followed the paper trail and they've looked at eBay and the other auctions of when these cards have sold and seen that card number 48 out of 99 sold on whatever date and it had a green swatch in it. And then all of a sudden that same card, same serial number pops up again for sale. But strangely enough, that patch is different. That's kind of the telltale thing. So all I can say is if you're looking to buy something and you think it's too good to be true, do some more research. I have an acquaintance, another podcaster and blogger who has a Rockford Ice Hogs podcast, and she's a big Corey Crawford collector. And she purchased a Corey Crawford patch card that was a leaf card. And I said, you know, I don't know if that's the real deal. So I asked our buddy at Leaf, Greg Cohn, to take a look at it. And he's like, nope, that's been altered. That's not one of our cards or something like the patch wasn't one that we had put on the card. 
So it was like an example of like a really nice card. Yeah. yeah that, that sucks. Yeah, because it was Leaf. I'm just like, oh, well, hey, I know the guy who would have seen every single card since they hand-packed those boxes would be able to look and say if, if that was one of theirs or not. That's a good point that you make there. You have a company like that, and whether you agree with Leaf or not or like their product or not or whatever, that's besides the point. When you have a product that's all hand-collated and hand-packed, there's somebody there touching the cards and looking at the cards and everything else. Now, when you have stuff that's mass-packed, you don't always get that. You know, some of the higher-end products are obviously hand-packed because there's like six cards and they stick them in a little jewel case and then that's put in the box. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's not done by a machine. That's done by a person. But it brings up the the argument of that a lot of people have been making for years is that, you know, when you have these lower serial-numbered, probably higher-desired cards coming from high-end sets like the Cup or Ultimate or you know, some of the higher end Leafs ones like Leaf Pearl or Lumber or when the Art of Hockey eventually comes out. These higher end products, would it not behoove a database to be created that's got a photo match version of every one of the serial numbers? I'm not saying do ones out of 200 or 400 or 999, but anything that's got a lower number of serial lower number of serial that's not even correct english anything that's got a low serial number i think that'd be highly worthwhile because i could easily prevent that some clearinghouse you could go to quickly and be like hey this is card 54 out of out of 99 what's it supposed to look like oh it's supposed to look like a blue and white stripe and you look at it over here it's blue and white stripe right okay it matches yeah but unlike these, and you'll have to check it out. I mean, we can put a link to it in the thing, but yeah, it's pretty disturbing. And they're pretty good at it. I mean, they didn't damage the cards in the process of doing it. I don't know how they did it, but they figured it out. It would scare me. Let's put it that way. I think of like all the cards with like a boring white swatch. So you got a, a Red Wings card, but he's it's got a white swatch on it. And if you just bought like a junk jersey cut the pieces and just glued it over it or something or pried the old one off and just put a nicer one on. I don't know how to fake patches and I mean, I don't know how to make Jersey cards. So I I don't know if this would work. Like if I was going to fake Jersey cards and patch cards, I wouldn't do it to something numbered. I would do it to something unnumbered. And I would basically convert a 50 cent card or $1 card to like a five or $10 card where you go, yeah, it's an unnumbered card, but wow, that is a nice, you know, it's a Mike Richter patch or Mike Richter Jersey card. And there's like, it's a red, white, and blue, like part of that Ranger stripe, right? You like the red stripe with some like white and blue on either side of it or something like that. Then you go, all right, I'll pay 10 bucks for that because that is a nice looking piece of Jersey. You know, instead of like, ah, it's got, it's got a white swatch on it. And I got like 15 cards like that at home that have white swatches, right? And, and that's the whole idea. Right. That's the whole idea. You're out there fishing. You're throwing the line. You're going to catch somebody with the worm or you're going to catch somebody with the uh, nice shiny lure that you bought that cost you 30 bucks. Right. But I wouldn't do that to something that's like numbered one out of five because that's going to be a little more obvious. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, those will probably be nicer cards anyways and probably not worth doing to them. But like you said, because 
cards with the same serial number end up popping up on eBay again. And you're like, okay, what's going on? Now the card has a different piece of jersey attached to it. I think the ones that were posted, I mean, some of them are pretty high serial numbers. I know there's a uh, the premier patch card of Jason Robertson that they showed. I think it's numbered out of 249. So it's a high one, but it's also the same exact serial number of one that previously sold for less. So you'll have to check it out. So let's talk about Tim Hortons. Yes. So envious of people in Canada and some parts of the U.S., like Buffalo, they have their own Tim Hortons Buffalo Sabres set. And I think Detroit had like a Red Wings set. So they're starting to do like, or they've been doing like regional team issues for Tim Hortons in the U.S. But we're talking about the big Tim Hortons set that's been coming out for like, I don't know, the past, what, 10 years now, it seems. I think it was 15, 16. Was 15, the first. 16. Okay, yeah. McDavid's rookie year. Makes sense. Because prior to that, it was McDonald's. McDonald's, right. Yeah. Yeah. So Tim Hortons came out Monday the 3rd. At least that's when it's supposed to come out. But well, I've seen them on just, eBay already. Just like it does every year, you know, at least a week ahead of time, everybody seems to already have the boxes somehow in hand and are ready to sell them, and they've got the cards already and everything else. And it's strangely weird that this is supposed to be only available inside of a Tim Hortons. Yet there's all these schlubs on their eBay stores with cases upon cases of them. How does that happen? Well, obviously, they're sold out the back door. I mean, that's just the way it is. That is. And I'll offer a parallel here. So one of my favorite non-hockey sets was the 1986 McDonald's football cards. And so all the NFL teams had their own set of cards. And then if you lived in a non-NFL city, you got a set of all-star cards. And you can find those cards in mint condition today and they're from 1986 and the cards had a little coupon that you tear off the bottom that had like a scratch off area and it would like give you like you know if the pittsburgh steelers win game two then you get a big mac when you buy a big mac or something like that so anyway um and those are the ones that had like there was like a box in each corner on the design yep, yep. like the logo team logo and the nfl logo and whatnot yep that's okay. the one all right i remember those So I have some of those. The thing about that is I've talked to people who collected them back in the 80s and they basically said, well, two things. One, there's a lot of McDonald's in the United States. Even back in 1986, there are a lot of McDonald's. And he said, of course, these were being sold out the back room or they got onto the secondary market quickly. And so you had a lot of them like someone like me. I'd go to McDonald's. I'd get the card, I'd tear off the coupon, I'd scratch it off, the Bears won, I'd get my free fries or whatever. And I remember trading with other kids and collecting a set with the coupons missing, because that's what we did. We we kept the coupons. But the adult collectors wouldn't do that, because they, they knew better. And so you have a lot of these cards today still out there that are in like good shape. I'm not saying that they're worthless. I mean, I sold some of mine at the national over the summer. Cause I said, all right, I'm going to focus more on hockey and get rid of some of these non-hockey sets that I have. And that's the thing is that I had guys tell me, Oh yeah, these were being sold out the back door in 1986. So yeah, it's been going on at least that long. Yeah. Well, I mean, I get it. 
it's no consolation in my mind though when you know you have something that's supposed to be a it's supposed to be done a certain way and then obviously people find a way to not do it that way and it kind of makes me crazy but you know to your point about there being so many mcdonald's and everything else i believe the other day um ryan cracknell from beckett Beckett. yep he was talking about actually put it out there about like what the actual population count of tim horton's hockey would be and he basically calculated that there's i don't know if he was doing this in jest or not but you know there's one pack for every other person in Canada based off the population. So like 38 million people. So there's like 18,800,000 packs. Uh, I don't know if that's hundred percent true, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's pretty close to what the math ends up being. There's a lot of packs supposedly available. The problem is, how many times do we see these releases come out year in and year out? And the day they come out, you have so many people talking about, well, went to my local Timmy's, nothing. They didn't have any. Went to three today, they didn't have any. A couple of days later, oh, everyone I've gone to, they're all sold out. It's like, if there's that many, how can they be sold out that quick if somebody just didn't dump them all right off the bat, get them out there? And I don't know, is it jealousy? Maybe, because I don't have access to those things. But also at the same time, I'd like to see people get their shot at it. Same way they do with like the National Hockey Card Day stuff. You know, dealers get these. They're supposed to be the giveaways. They're supposed to give out for free, essentially. And yet they're all on eBay like three days beforehand. People selling the whole boxes and trying to give those away. Not give them away, but sell the boxes. Yeah, I know they pay for them. They buy them themselves just to have them as a promotional item. But still, they're missing the whole, I don't know. I guess I'm looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. And I it defeats the purpose of the promotion. It does. I mean, at least back when I was a kid, I was able to go and get my football card from McDonald's. And then I even remember, like, in the 90s, like, if, like, 7-Eleven was doing some sort of a giveaway. I'd always go and, and try to get, you know, whether it was a special Slurpee cup or a trading card or something like that. I mean, it it, it gets people in the stores and it gets them excited about it, about whatever it is that they're giving away or, or selling in the case. And you got to pay for the Tim Hortons packs. You know, I'll tell you, like, I can relate to the frustration, like when starting lineup hockey figures came out. And I remember like, dealers would just go to the Toys R Us and just buy up all the figures, like guys who owned like sport card stores. And I like literally remember like a friend of mine who worked at Toys R Us and he's like, hey man, you got to hurry. We just got a whole shipment of starting lineup figures, including a bunch of hockey figures. And I'm like, hot damn, because I used to work at a comic shop that was a couple blocks away. So I remember running down to the Toys R Us and I saw a shopping cart full of the figures and i'm like oh cool mario lemieux eric lindros and patrick watt and and then this lady comes up to me and she's like you can't buy those and i'm like what she's like no those are his and she points to like basically comic book guy from the simpsons like the biggest fattest ugliest hairiest guy he had his like belly hanging out of his shirt and i'm like wait why does he get to buy all these hockey figures and I can't buy any. Well, because he was first on the wait list. 
I'm like, what wait list? He was first on the wait list. And I'm like, I, I don't know about any wait list. I come to just Toys R Us all the time. Nobody ever told me anything about this, right? And she's like, here, you could buy those. And she points to like a box on the floor. And there's like Brett Hull, who is like three per case. <laughs> the ones that he didn't want to take too many Brett Hulls or whatever. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's frustrating when you, you get excited about something and you can't participate in that because somebody just goes in, buys them all up, and then and then it's done. And then that's it. And then you have to pay more for it. And you didn't even get a shot in the first place. I can see the store getting wiped out of selling them. I don't know if they put a limit on how many you can buy or if they, they're they supposed to maybe. But I've seen plenty of people walk in there and they're like, okay, I want to buy 40 packs. And walk out of there with 40 packs. I think they're what? They're a buck a piece for a pack. I think they're like a dollar ninety nine. They're not that cheap. Okay, but I I, I'm not sure because I've never never bought one. Okay, I didn't know if they were still a buck or if they were more than that. But either way, I mean, whether it's a buck or two bucks, forty bucks, eighty bucks worth of cards buying from a donut shop. Oh, I don't know. Like I said, I have no skin in the game. I'm not from Canada, although there's a few people that apparently want to make me an honorary Canadian, but that's. A different story and i'm sure this is largely a non-issue especially for the manufacturer being upper deck and, or the company tim hortons itself i'm sure they don't care if their employees are backdooring the stuff nor do they want to spend the time and resources to monitor it and try to prevent it from happening because they got their money and the minimum wage employees that work there don't have to deal with the hassle of trying to figure out how to sell them when to sell them who to sell them to they're all gone you're done Somebody says, can I buy a card? Nope, sorry, we're out. Move on. I got a great story. Unfortunately, it's not my story, but my roommate in college, he worked in McDonald's the year they were doing the Beanie Baby promotion. And this was in Peoria. So he worked at a McDonald's in Peoria, middle America. The McDonald's was doing the Beanie Baby um, Happy Meals or whatever. And he said like a fight or a riot broke out at this McDonald's and then cops had to be called in. I'm like, what did you do? He's like, oh, I went in the back room. I snuck out the back door and I went home. (laughs) So there's your perfect example of how the employee feels about, you know, making sure everybody gets one because that's fair. If you want a couple of good things to watch about that. Um, if you ever watched the Dark Side of the '90s series, um, that's on no. Vice Net on Vice Network, they have one so. about the Beanie Baby craze, and mm-hmm. then there's also, uh, I believe, it's one of the toys that made America, is the one about the Beanie Babies. Oh, the toys that made us. Yeah. Documentary. That's, great yeah, that's, show. That's another good one, the Beanie Baby one, because you know I remember it. I vaguely remember the the frenzy over that vaguely because I was in college at the time. So I didn't really pay attention to that kind of thing. So I have a periphery kind of memory of it. I didn't realize it was that crazy. I didn't realize people were that absolutely nutso about it. It's interesting to watch those documentaries. But anyway, that's besides the point. All right. So let's talk about the first set of the 22-23 season. MVP. So I told Tim earlier today, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got some MVP. And he's like, so what was it like? I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's MVP. It's what you expect. 
It's like the Happy Meal of cards. You know what you're going to get. You're just like. Happy Meals have choices now. Well, yeah, you could get like milk with your chicken nuggets. There's all sorts of things you can get. Happy Meal now. Which I guess is good. I think I would have been the kid that would have gotten the chocolate milk instead of the soda. That would have been more my speed. Me at 10. But yeah, so MVP. So here's the skinny. If you buy a hobby box, you get 20 packs, you get eight cards per pack. Uh, hobby box is around 60 bucks. So it's about three bucks a pack yields about 160 cards. Well, exactly 160 cards. If you buy a blaster box from like, say, Target or Walmart, it's $20 for 15 packs, but you only get six cards per pack. So it's about a buck 35 a pack. So you get about 90 cards. So it's a cheap set to build at least the base set. There's 200 base cards. There's 50 short print rookie cards and veteran star cards. So the overall set is 250 cards. And then you get a plethora of inserts, parallels. I've opened a box recently and I got eight different parallels or inserts, not counting the Base cards, not counting the short prints, but I'm talking about stuff like Ice Battles, which replaced Tim's beloved puzzle pieces, or the retro inserts that look like MVP cards from 20 years ago, or a couple new insert sets, like there's one called Pinpoints. I don't know what the point of these pinpoint cards are. Because they have pinpoints in the corners. Oh, and well, they're not like pinholes, though. Targets. are not holes. This is MVP. They don't die-cut cards. Are you crazy? Oh, Contramo Frere. Yeah, because you pull the Color and Contours one, right? Color and Contours of Troy Terry. Um, mm-hmm. That looks like an old-school MVP card. Actually, you know what's kind of fun about this card? Not fun, but just awesome for me, is that it's serial numbered 1 out of 250. Put that one. on eBay. No, screw that. This is going in my one in a million collection. So like I have like a one of one. I have a one of 10. I have a one of 20. I have a one of 100. And I don't have a one out of 250. But I need like a one out of two and a one out of four. And like maybe a one out of nine if such card exists. And I need some of those weird like late 90s inserts that were like numbered out of like 799. I need to find like Anyone, as long as it's one out of seven ninety nine, don't care who it is. So that's you just my the number one. Number one, right? Exactly. Let's see. So okay. like one out of two, one out of three, one out of four, etc. I can't imagine that that'd be. I mean, you have the same odds of getting one as you do every other card, which makes eBay one of one a joke. But I imagine other people are probably chasing the number one also. Yeah, I mean, it's a side project. It's not like something I obsess too hard over. But if I see like a card that's like numbered one out of 16, I'm like, all right, I'm keeping this one. I imagine number one. I imagine the last card and I imagine whatever the player's jersey number is are probably the three most sought after numbers out of any serial sequence. Right. Followed by your birthday, if they can do that. Right. Like that Panini Prime swatches chris chelios card that i have like eight of i have number one out of 25 and i have number seven out of 25 which was his number with the blackhawks and it's like my favorite jersey card so that one i have a lot of but that's a different set from a different company and we're not talking about that so mvp 
you get what you expect. You get your base cards, your typical inserts. They have these new inserts this year that I like a lot. They're called domains, and they have a picture of the player, like a portrait of the player, and they're standing in front of their country's flag. And I think they look cool because I love cards with the flag backgrounds. Like you think back to the 63, 64 Parkhurst had the flag backgrounds, of course. And then, you know, that was used a lot in the 90s. It was an off-imitated design. Uh, I think of like 93, 94 tops and OPG Premier had a subset where they had like the players superimposed in front of the flags. But I like this particular set because it has the player without their helmet. They look like they're standing for the anthem, but then it has their own country's flag behind them. I think it just looks cool. This is an insert set I'd probably end up pursuing just because it's unique and it's different. I got four of them in my hobby box and it's called Domains. So that one I'm going to be putting together. But then, you know, they have like ice battles, which I could care less about. They have like the retro parallel inserts, which... I go, oh, those are cool. Those look like cards from 20 years ago. And then I realized there's like 80 of them to collect. And then I lose interest fast. Which design did they use on those this year? I don't know, honestly. It almost looks like Stanley Cup edition, maybe. No, because it doesn't have those little weird pixely things on the side. Um, That looks like 2000, 2001, maybe. Yeah, it looks like it. Now, as for the MVP cards themselves, I almost did a double take because I was like, these look a lot like last year's design. I mean, they don't, but they kind of do. Yeah, they they very much so look like last year's. And then this is interesting. I'm just noticing this right now. The backs of the cards don't have any stats on them. They just have their vitals and they have a, a blurb about them, but there's like no statistics no goals assists points or saves and shutouts for goalies and stuff like that i mean that is any of them nope not a single card has stats nope none of them have stats really yep because i know last year when they brought the ice battle parallel those have the pack war stats on the back yeah and that makes there were still at least a couple lines of stat mvps always had not the full length of their careers, but usually an abbreviated like five. five or six years. Yeah, five and then totals. Wow, none of them have stats on the back. Really yeah. weird. Yeah. I find that weird. Yeah, it is weird. It's unusual because usually you have like maybe like Hall of Fame type sets wouldn't have stats because they'd have like a biography of the player where maybe stats aren't as important because the players included for a reason because he's a legend right here. These are NHL players. So it's good to see their stats and kind of see how they stack up against one another. It is odd that these cards don't have stats. I mean, next up, you know what? They're not going to have photos either. Yeah, that's going to get crazy. They'll just have like their name and like a team logo and like the MVP logo and the upper deck logo. And then we'll call it Panini Anthology. I mean, no. Panini Anthology. Yeah. So there's another Panini shiny. Cash grab. Cash grab. There's another shiny set called Encounters on Ice, which I don't think are that interesting because it's just the two players standing side by side, not on the ice, helmetless. This is like their yearbook photo, like their team photo day photo, where they're just there. 
standing what's, next to each other. What's the idea behind these? Uh, I mean, these teams play against each other. Does it give a blurb about them fighting each other or something? Yeah, just them playing against each other in a game. Like this one talks about Mark Scheifele netted his second goal of the campaign against the Oilers on November 16th, blah, blah, blah. Dreisaitl responded by scoring a pair of power play goals. So just basically talking about the two of them playing in a game against each other. So I guess what they're going for is the whole rivalry thing between the teams. Yeah, when I think rivalry, I think Winnipeg and Edmonton. Yeah. Montreal and Toronto. Toronto, yeah. Sure, kind of. They're original six teams, but... Flames and Oilers would be another one. Would be a better one. Now, I don't have all of these, and I haven't looked up the checklist, but there's at least 20 of them because this one's numbered 20. So, eh, I mean, that's fine. And then there's, like, this pinpoint set that has, like, gold and silver. I'm sure all of these have gold and silver parallels because... Deck gonna deck, you know what I mean? They're gonna they're gonna parallel. Yeah, they did last year too. All of them had a gold version to go along with. I'll tell you what I was disappointed in. There were silver scripts, and that's fine. Those are to be expected. Whenever I get my hands on a hobby box of MVP, I'm always looking forward to getting like a super script, like a one out of five. Or like a one out of twenty-five, like a gold script or a superscript. The superscripts are at one out of five, and they're usually like a rainbow foil or something like that. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I wouldn't call it rainbow foil, but yeah, you're on the right track with that. Well, I guess the point I'm making is that I didn't get one numbered card except for this colors and contour of Freud Terry, which is nice. It's numbered one out of two fifty. You know, you didn't get always... a silver script parallel out of there. No, I got a couple of silver scripts, but they're just no, not the expect. regular one. The parallel, the silver script parallel, like something that's numbered, like super script. I meant you didn't get like one. Correct. Last year, every box of MVP I got had at least one in it. Right. And I only say that because I got one weird box that had two of them. Which can happen, but it's just odd to get a hobby box of MVP and not get one of those numbered parallels. I guess unless you count this color and contours. So, which I'm sure they do. You know, this begs the question now what's the point of collecting MVP if they're just going to come out with a factory set in a couple of months? Because it's a different color. Yeah, the borders are a different color. Oh, speaking of which, Ice Battles this year, they went with this orange color. They're actually a little bit easier to tell if they're Ice Battles. Before you had to see at the top, it said Ice Battles, and you go, oh, okay. This one's different, but now they made it painfully different. I think that was our suggestion last year. I think I said that the Ice Battles cards looked too similar to the standard base cards and that they should have different colored borders, which they do this year. So thank you for listening, Upper Deck, and you're welcome for the great idea. So now when I was opening this, I'm just like, instead of being like, oh, I got two Brandon Sods in this pack, that sucks. Now I'm like, well, I know this is the Ice Battles because... It has orange on it, and it looks way different. Yeah. Let me ask you this. You just got the one box? Yep. There was no, like, nothing weird in the box. Mm-mm. Like I said, the weirdest thing was this colors and contours numbered out of 250. So last year, was it last year or the year before, MVP came out, and they made it so every box had a hit, quote-unquote, a hit. And it was supposed to be some kind of rare hit, um, meaning that it was going to be one of the lower serial number cards 
that had a much higher pull rate or a much lower pull rate, I should say. And then last year they continued that and they were supposed to have done it again this year. So the fact that you didn't get a superscript, let me ask you, is your color and contours numbered? Yeah, out of 250. One out of 250, remember? I keep bragging about pulling one out of 250. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Hey, it's an eBay 101. That's a pretty low number. I feel like you got a card missing, but whatever. I've been through these twice, so you open them, you go back through them, you put them in order, you check all the backs of them, you make sure that you didn't actually pull like a numbered parallel that you didn't realize that was a numbered parallel because sometimes the serial number's on the front, sometimes the serial number's on the back. So here's my... How many of the short prints did you get? Uh, Oh, well, that's the thing. So there's 20 packs per box now, not 24. Might have been 20 last year. thought it was 24 last year. 20 surprised me because when I opened my box and I counted up my short prints and I said, huh, only 10 short prints. I feel like I got shorted on the short prints. But then I looked and I saw that it's a 20 packs per box and I go, all right, one in every other pack. So yeah, I got a 1920 box here and it was 20 packs also. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess I just wasn't paying attention that hard. So the last few years it's been 20. Okay. I stand corrected. Well, I know what you're saying. There was a time where it wasn't. I mean, here's the thing. You'd have to buy five boxes to build the short print set or just scoop them up on eBay or make trades or wait for it to come on ComC. But is this really the set that you want to spend a lot of money on putting together? And I don't think most people do. I think they buy it because they might put together the base set. They might pull the cards of the players they like or the teams that they like. Maybe like the Kraken in it, you know, gives Kraken collectors a chance to get some new Kraken cards. But it's not the kind of set I'd break the bank on, if that makes sense. Like, just me personally. Like, you pointed out that a lot of the guys in this rookie card checklist are also going to be in Upper Deck Series 1. I'm just going to wait for Upper Deck Series 1. That's going to be the set that I go for broke on. And I will say go for broke because... I bought a lot of Series 1 and Series 2 over the past two years. Not so much extended series over the past two years, but definitely more Series 1 and Series 2 than I am than I care to admit. Uh, it's because you have a problem. I do. Yes, but I admit you are it. correct. There, and that's good. That's the first step. The rookie SPs and MVP are a lot of the same ones that are going to be in Series 1. But again, Series 1, I mean, that's the flagship set. Everybody's chasing that. Of course they are. But if you're looking for the first thing to come off the line for the year, it's usually MVP. Last year was an exception. But this year, it's pretty much the first set of the year. It's your first shot at getting any of the new rookie class. I like the set to build a set because I like building sets. So to me, that's fun. And I'll easily go and track down 250 cards by buying a couple boxes and then tracking down the short prints because I don't have a problem with that. But I'm still kind of disturbed you didn't get that extra hit card, but oh well. Is this for everybody? No. Is this a lower end? Of course. Are are people going to hit chase in here? No. Are there autographs available? Yes, there are. They're hard to find. I'm sure you didn't get one. Correct. I don't but, think I've ever gotten an autographed card in a box of MVP. Yeah, I did once. It was Bobby Orr. Um, wow. So what was the year, 13 or 14, when they were doing those NHL Territories cards that were that Dufex finish to them? 
and they would have the player with the city that they played for in the background. Yeah, I got a Bobby Orr one. It's a sticker auto, but still, it's Bobby Orr, so it's pretty awesome. But, you know, there are magenta versions that are autographed, and they're, like, practically impossible to find. They're out there. I mean, the odds of pulling an Austin Matthews are one out of 45,000 packs. Still, there's a chance. So, is there some stuff to chase? Sure. If you like to build a set, you could obviously tackle this one. It's only 250 cards. And, you know, if you want to put together the insert sets, there aren't a billion different inserts. There's only a few different insert sets to put together for this. So, you know, building a, not necessarily a master set per se, but building a pretty decent sized set of most of the cards should be fairly obtainable. And it is every year for MVP. And I think that's more of the draw. It's it's lower end. You can get more out of it for your money as a collection, not as an investment, air quotes. But that's just me. Am I going to get any? I don't know yet. Probably at some point, maybe. It's hard to resist MVP because it's affordable. It's affordable. I mean, I remember 2021. I remember seeing... MVP, because that came out kind of on time. And we knew that series one wasn't going to come out until like that January. So I ended up buying a bunch of MVP at the store because I'm just like, eh, I want to buy hockey cards and they have a bunch of fat packs. And, you know, the other thing, too, is because MVP isn't really a hit chaser set, I know that the packs aren't really searched. I mean, what are they going to do? Search a pack for a 50 cent insert? Nah, not really. So if I go there and I buy like 10 loose packs, it's not like somebody said, ooh, this one's got the short printed rookie card in it, right? Because it's not the same as like if I go to like Target and they have a upper deck retail box put out. Retail boxes have 24 packs. And I like grab the stacks of packs and I count them and there's 18. And I go, hmm, 18 packs and six packs are missing. What do we get six of in a box of upper deck? Young guns. Right. So the young guns, somebody figured out, or I don't know, maybe not. Maybe they did. Maybe they know the long division. Maybe they know if, you know, if it's the third pack on the left side and the fifth pack on the left side and the sixth pack on the right side. I never bothered to figure that out. I even remember going as far back as eighth grade when upper deck baseball came out and kids telling me, Oh, yeah, the bottom four packs, the one in the upper right has the best cards in it or the the hit card or whatever. Don't know if that's true or not. Never tested that theory. Never cared to. You know what I mean? That just takes the fun out of it. But it also takes the fun when you, like, go to the store and, like, the packs have been searched or you know that, like, if there's any potential of there being a good card in this box, somebody already bought that one pack. So, I mean, if all 24 packs are there, I'd go, all right, I'll buy all 24 because I know I'm going to get my six young guns and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, with MVP, no one's really messing with those packs. So if you get them, you're going to get what's supposed to be in them. They're not searched. So you would hope. We're getting to desperate times. The pack searchers are going to resort to searching MVP packs. Looking for the rookie redemption cards. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did pull one one year, and I got the Jack Hughes rookie card. That was pretty cool. 
few years ago, I got the Metropolitan Division set. Oh, yeah. wow. Uh, it was the year Matt Barzell was in it. So whatever year that was. Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to buy the factory set because I like factory sets and I also like voting with my dollars. So if Upper Deck puts out a factory set and I buy the factory set, other people buy the factory set, then they'll continue to do that. I like that kind of thing. You know, like I like getting all the cards at once. I know it defeats the purpose. But, you know, sometimes it comes in like a special box. Sometimes it comes with additional cards, whatever. I like that sort of thing. I mean, I like building sets, too. I just feel like it's really frustrating to do when you're going to spend $300 putting together a set that maybe you could buy for 50, 60 bucks online. <laughs> I know that's not the point. But then you also end up with all these extra base cards that you don't need or want. I know that's not the point, but it kind of is. If that's your point, then that's your point. That's how you collect. Yeah. There's no wrong way to collect. As long as you collect. Right. That's all that matters. So this feels like a good stopping point. What do you think? Sure. You said something sage-like, so I think that's where we just... <laughs> something sage-like? Yes. I need one of them like things to like wave over my shoulder. Yeah. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. You, you, He's doing these hand motions, and I'm thinking he's like telling the jumbo jet to land on the runway. All right. I tell my sage advice and then I flip my little thingy over my shoulders like a like a shaman would. Well, all right. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. If you've enjoyed this show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to tell your hockey card collecting friends. Please be sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.